Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now, you may have noticed that we started this episode of our podcast with some new intro music, but you're still at the same podcast. We just wanted to freshen things up a little bit. And in this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons where we're going to be talking about what's at the heart of worship. Now, you may or may not realize this, but here at Melbourne Heights, we have been worshiping together online only for almost 11 months now. That's right, it's been almost 11 months since the coronavirus pandemic caused us to stop meeting together in person. And over the course of the last 11 months that we've been worshiping together online, we have talked about a whole lot of different topics. We've talked about the virus, the pandemic, and how that's going to change our future. We've talked about what the gospel is, and we've even talked about some of Jesus' most familiar teachings in different parables. But there's one thing that we haven't talked about a whole lot over the last 11 months. We haven't talked about what it means to worship God. So in this series, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be trying to get back to the heart of worship and rediscover what it means to worship God together. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Just a few minutes ago, we sang one of the most popular and most familiar songs in contemporary Christian worship today. It's a song that was written by Matt Redman called Heart of Worship. And although I have no problem telling you right now that I love the song and that I actually find myself singing it in my car just about every week when I'm driving over to our church offices on Sunday mornings, I actually love the story behind the song even more. This song actually dates back to the late 1990s. And it was born from a period of apathy within the church that Matt Redman was serving in as a worship leader at the time. That church, which was called Soul Survivor, and it's located in Watford, England, it played a big part in the revitalization of worship, not only in the United Kingdom, but all around the world. But the senior pastor of Soul Survivor Church, a guy named Mike Pilavachi, he believed that his congregation kind of lost their way. Yes, Soul Survivor had innovative worship services that were happening every single weekend, and they had elaborate production for everything that happened on their stage. But it just felt like something was missing. So the senior pastor, he did something that was incredibly bold. He decided to eliminate their sound system, to nix their multimedia, and to get rid of all of the musical instruments and accompaniment that the church had been using for all of their weekend services. Instead, the entire church would enter into a season of simplicity, where the only thing that they would use in their worship services was their own voices. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a worship service that didn't have any microphones or any music at all? Well, Matt Redman has admitted in numerous interviews that he's been a part of over the years that it was pretty awkward at the very beginning. And there were lots of long silences when the church first started worshiping that way. And all of that led to a steady decline in attendance at the church. But the staff? The staff didn't flinch. They were committed to helping their church rediscover what worship is all about. And as Matt reflected on worship, what worship is really about, he wrote the words that we just sang. When the music fades, 
all is stripped away. And I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Now, I'm not standing here today telling you the same thing that Matt's pastor told his church more than 20 years ago. I'm not standing here today saying that we have lost our way when it comes to our worship. However, I do realize that we have now been worshiping together online for almost 11 months. So for almost 11 months, you have either visited our church website or our Facebook page or our YouTube channel in order to worship with us. And my fear, my fear is that there are times when our worship services feel like just another video that you'd see on those platforms. But worship, worship needs to be more than just watching a video. Worship needs to be more than just watching a video. So, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I want us to try to get back to the heart of worship. And I want to start right now by reminding you of who is at the heart of our worship. So, who is at the heart of our worship? Well, the easy answer to that question is God. God is at the heart of our worship. God is at the heart of our worship. But here's the thing. I don't want to stop with the easy or the simple answer here. I want us to go deeper, and I want us to talk about who God is. And to help us do that, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture that we find in the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is someone that we call a prophet. And a prophet is just someone who speaks on behalf of God. And i got to tell you that I think that sounds like a really cool job description. Someone who speaks on behalf of God. But it's not the kind of job that you would ever find listed on a job listing site like Indeed. And even if you did, you probably wouldn't want to actually apply for it. And that's because the prophets were kind of like a warning alarm for ancient Israel. So if the people of Israel started relying on themselves too much and they were turning their backs on God... Well, the prophets would sound the alarm. They would warn the people of Israel that they needed to change their course before it was too late. And let's just say that that message didn't usually go over very well with the people of Israel. For some reason, we as human beings, we just don't like to be told when we're doing something wrong. But regardless, Isaiah is a prophet, and Isaiah has been tasked with speaking on behalf of God. And Isaiah is going to warn the people of Israel that they are turning their backs on God. But that's not all that Isaiah does. In the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, Isaiah also reminds the people of Israel about who God is. So let's take a look together at Isaiah chapter 40 and let's see who God is. We'll start reading together in verse 12. Here's what it says. Who has measured the waters in the palm of a hand, or gauged the heavens with a ruler, or scooped the earth's dust up in a measuring cup, or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? Who directed the Lord's spirit and acted as God's advisor? 
Whom did he consult for enlightenment? Who taught him the path of justice and knowledge and explained to him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and valued as dust on a scale. Look, God weighs the islands like fine dust. Lebanon doesn't have enough fuel. Its animals aren't enough for an entirely burnt offering. All the nations are like nothing before God. They are viewed as less than nothing in emptiness. So, to whom will you equate God? To what likeness will you compare him? An idol? A craftsman pours it. A metal worker covers it with gold and fashioned silver chains. The one who sets up an image chooses wood that won't rot and then seeks a skilled artisan to set up an idol that won't move. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Wasn't it announced to you from the beginning? Haven't you understood since the earth was founded? God. God inhabits the earth's horizon. Its inhabitants are like locusts. God stretches out the skies like a curtain and spreads it out like a tent for dwelling. God makes dignitaries useless and the earth's judges into nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely is their shoot rooted in the earth when God breathes on them and they dry up. The windstorm carries them off like straw. So to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One. Look up at the sky and consider, who created these? The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name. Because of God's great strength and mighty power, not one is missing. Now, how do you feel when you hear that particular passage? How do you feel when you hear that God measured the water in the palm of his hand? How do you feel when God calls even the mightiest empire our world has ever known less than nothing? How do you feel when God makes it clear that absolutely nothing is his equal? Because the way that God describes himself in this passage makes it crystal clear that God is a big God. I love the way that Mark Batterson, who's the pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., explains this in his book called Whisper. Mark says, if creation reveals anything, it's that God is bigger than big. The theological word for this is transcendence, and it's evidenced by the size of the universe. Earth. Earth is larger than Mars, Mercury, and the moon but it's significantly smaller than Uranus, Neptune, Saturn, and Jupiter. Jupiter is 1,321 times larger than Earth in terms of volume, but it's 10 times smaller than the Sun. And the Sun is a relatively small yellow dwarf star. Arcturus, an orange giant, is 26 times bigger than the Sun and produces 200 times more energy. And Teres, a red supergiant, is 10,000 times brighter than our sun. And we're not even out of the Milky Way galaxy. And to us, 
To us, earth seems huge, but not so much. And God, God made all of this. God made the earth, God made Mars, God made Mer Mercury, God made Jupiter, God made the sun. So creation is not just a reminder of how incredibly small we are. Creation is a reminder of how incredibly big God is. God is bigger than big. And that's a little intimidating if we leave it there by its lonesome. So there's a little bit more that we need to hear in this passage from the book of Isaiah. If we pick back up in verse 27, here's what we read. Why do you say, Jacob, and declare, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My God ignores my predicament. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. So, yeah, the vastness of God that we read about in the first few verses of this passage it can still feel a little intimidating for us. But these five verses that we just heard, they give us good news. And what is that good news? Well, it tells us that there is a theological counterbalance to the bigness of God. It's called the imminence of God. And that means that God is closer than close. So God is great not just because nothing is too big. God is great because nothing is too small. So this is who God is. This is who's at the heart of our worship. God is. The God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you. The God who is beyond infinite. The God that is above any comparison. But God is also the God who reaches down and gives power to the tired and revives the exhausted. The God that we worship is a God that is greater than anything you could possibly imagine. But our God is also a God that loves you more than you could possibly imagine. God is greater than anything you could possibly imagine. But God also loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And this is the God. This is the God that we get to come together to worship. We get to come together to worship this God that is both transcendent and imminent. We get to come together to worship this God that is both big and close. We get to come together to worship this God that is greater than we can possibly imagine and that loves us more than we could ever hope to imagine. But how exactly do we worship this God? How do we worship this big, transcendent, but yet imminent God? Because let's just be honest here. Even though we know deep down that all of these things are true about God, it doesn't always carry over into our worship. Even though we know that our God is a great God that loves us deeply, we don't always act like that's the God that we get to worship during our services. We don't always act like we are coming into the presence 
of the God that created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including us, when we come together to worship. I mean, seriously, just take a minute here to think about how you would act if you were in the physical presence of our God, in the physical presence of Jesus right now. Do it. Imagine that Jesus was sitting with you wherever you are. Imagine that Jesus was sitting with you, beside you, on your couch in your living room right now. Or imagine that Jesus was on the other side of your kitchen island right now. Or imagine that Jesus was just physically with you wherever you might be at this moment. How would you act? How would you be acting if Jesus was with you? Now, I remember attending a Christian camp one summer when I was a teenager, where the camp pastor asked us that very question every single time that we got together to worship. At the beginning of every one of our worship services, this pastor would come onto the stage with an empty chair. And he sat that stage on the chair and he asked us to imagine that Jesus was sitting in that chair right now. And then he asked us what we would do if Jesus was right there with us. And at that point, some of us got down on our knees and we bowed before our king. And some of us stood up and we raised our hands to the heavens to worship our Lord. Some of us just sat in our seats as tears welled up in our eyes, overwhelmed by the idea that God was with us. But that's not usually how we act when we come together to worship. So instead of falling to our knees or raising our hands or simply being in awe of our God, we treat our time together in worship like it's just another hour and just another day in our lives. So as we worship together online, you might have this sermon playing in the background right now while you're making a late breakfast today. Or as we're worshiping together online right now, you might have this service loaded up in one tab on your internet browser while you're scrolling through your social media feed in another tab. Or as we're coming together, as we're worshiping together today, right now, you might just be treating this whole service like it's any other TV show. So you might just be sitting back, kicking your feet up, and watching what happens without really engaging or participating in the service at all. But is that how you would act if Jesus was sitting in the room with you right now? Would you be ignoring him while you're finishing up fixing your breakfast? Would you be scrolling through your social media feeds when you could be spending time with your Savior? Would you just be sitting back and kicking your feet up and not engaging with Jesus if he was there with you right now at all? You know, the way that we usually act in worship actually reminds me of the story of another prophet, a man named Elijah. Now, you can read the whole story of Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, and it's well worth your time. But I want to focus in on a smaller part of his story. And Elijah was a prophet, once again, someone who speaks on behalf of God, while Ahab was the king of Israel. And Ahab? Well, Ahab wasn't a very good king. The book of 1 Kings actually describes Ahab as someone who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the other kings before him. And the worst thing that King Ahab did as he was king was to marry a princess from Sidon named Jezebel. And Jezebel? Well, she was a real Jezebel. 
Jezebel was wicked, she was shameless, and she brought her gods with her when she became queen of Israel. And she expected that everyone in Israel would worship her gods instead of the one true God. But just because the king and the queen of Israel had turned their backs on God, well, that doesn't mean that God had turned his back on the people of Israel. So God sends his prophet. He sends Elijah to speak on his behalf and to stand up to Ahab and to Jezebel. And Elijah has a monumental encounter with Jezebel and the priest that she brought with her to Israel. They actually have a showdown at a place called Mount Carmel, which I personally think sounds like a better place to build Willy Wonka's chocolate factory than to have a great divine showdown, but that's just me. But anyway... Elijah has a showdown with the priests of Jezebel's faith on Mount Carmel. And it essentially goes like this. Elijah tells the priest to build an altar, to then kill a bull, and to then offer it as a sacrifice to their gods. But Elijah has one catch. Their god has to provide his own fire, like a lightning bolt striking from the heavens. So the priests build their altar, they kill their bull, and they start praying for fire. But it doesn't come. So Elijah takes his turn. He builds his altar, he kills his bull, and then Elijah gets a little crazy. He digs a trench around his altar, and he asks the people that are standing around to start pouring as much water as they possibly can on this altar until it fills the trench around it. Or to put it another way, Elijah does everything that he can possibly do to make sure that it is impossible for his altar to catch on fire. And once the altar is completely drenched, Elijah steps forward and he prays, Let it be known today that you are Israel's God. And before Elijah can even say amen, the bull, the wood, the stones, and the ground all around it are consumed with fire. So Elijah sees for himself the transcendence of God. But just a few short verses later, Elijah feels like God is a million miles away. And he feels like God is a million miles away because right after his epic showdown on Mount Carmel, Elijah learns that Jezebel isn't very happy and she's actually out to kill him. So even though Elijah has just seen how big and how powerful our God is with his own two eyes, and even though Elijah knows that God is also so close that he can hear one man's lowly prayers and respond, Elijah cannot worship God. And Elijah cannot worship God because he fails to realize that he is in God's presence. Same thing happens to us. When we come together online on Sundays, we struggle to worship God because we fail to realize that God isn't just big and God isn't just close, but God is also present in our lives every moment of every day. We struggle to worship God because we fail to realize that God is present in our lives every moment of every day. Now, in Elijah's story, God will do something amazing to remind Elijah that God is always present. God will actually send Elijah to stay in a cave. And while Elijah is staying in this cave, 1 Kings chapter 19 tells us this. The Lord said, Go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. 
A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound. A whisper. And that whisper was the voice of God. So when Elijah felt like God was a million miles away, God did something to show Elijah that he was present in his life. God whispered to Elijah. But do you ever wonder why God whispered to Elijah? God whispered to Elijah because you can only hear a whisper when you're close to the speaker. And that's how close God is to you right now. God is close enough to you right now to whisper in your ears. But you know what? There are a lot of things that can distract us from God's whisper. In Elijah's story, he could have been distracted by that powerful wind or that earthquake or the fire. In your life, you might get distracted by chores that you need to get done or by notifications that are popping up on your smartphone while you're worshiping with us right now or by your desire to just veg out and sit on the couch. But if you fail to realize that God is present in your life, then you will never be able to worship God. If you fail to realize that God is present in your life, then you will never be able to worship God. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to spend some time thinking about when you have felt God's presence in your life. I want you to think about moments that have felt like that showdown on Mount Carmel where God shows his transcendence. And I want you to think about moments that have felt like a gentle whisper. I want you to remember that God has been present in your life and that God is still present right now. And when you remember, that God is always present in your life, then your heart will be ready to worship God. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, I think we all feel a little humbled right now, God. When we stop and we think about just how great you are, about your vastness, God, it can't help but make us all feel so small. But God, even though we are all so small in the grand scheme of everything that you have created, you still love us, you still care about us, and you are still present in our lives, God. So my prayer is that you open our eyes to see your presence around us all the time, God. Help us to look back and remember those moments when you have been as transcendent as you were with the showdown at Mount Carmel, but when you were as imminent as you were with Elijah whispering, in his ear, God. Allow us to see your presence in our lives so that we can truly worship you. For you alone are worthy of our worship. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has reminded you that God, the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you, is present in your life every moment of every day. 
So spend some time this week thinking about when you have felt God's presence in your life. And when you do, when you see that God has been present in your life, you're going to want to worship God. Now, next week, we're going to dig a little bit deeper, and we're going to be talking about how it is that we go about worshiping God. So we hope that you'll tune in when that next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that next episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. I also want to remind you that you are invited to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. online for worship. You can find us at mhbclouisville.com. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.